Okay, let's look forward now. We look back and we gave thanks and praise to the Lord and what he has done for us. And this being the first day of the year, let's think about what is ahead of us and what is God looking for in us to declare his faithfulness and his mercy in 2017. So we're facing a new year. And as I was pondering a few weeks ago as to how I would uh, get us going back again into Romans, I looked at, well, what's the passage that I would be dealing with if we had continued from last year? And I discovered that Romans 12, 9 to 13 is a perfect New Year's message. And I hope it's going to come across perfectly to you. As it did to me, it, it blessed me for what the Lord has prepared for us. My outline is very simple. Let love. And I'll explain what that means by just saying let love as we go along here. And then with love. Thirdly, in hope. And then fourthly, contributing. And I think that you're going to find that this is a message of hope and that God has something good for each one of us this year. Maybe something that you never thought would ever happen would, would happen in your life. And as Katie and I reflected on this last year and even the year before, we had no idea we'd be back in Japan serving here at MCC. It has been way, way beyond our expectation. And we thank you, many of you, for making this such a wonderful experience for us. And we trust that we've been <laughs> a blessing to you as well. Let love, with love, in hope, and contributing. Let's read this passage. We could uh, read it together, really. Romans 12, 9 to 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. I took my outline, actually, not from the NASB. I did verse by verse, but what I did was I've taken the Greek-English interlinear rendering of these verses, which are a little bit different. They're, they're more succinct, but it, it gives the exact word rather than someone else is thinking of, well, this word fits good and it sounds good and flows well. When you read through an interlinear Bible, it's very different because the Greek sentence structure is much different than English. Just give you that little hint as we go ahead here. Let love, in verse 9, let love be sincere, is what the Greek says. Let love be sincere. That love is not our love. 
It is not our human love. In fact, the word that is used here for love is agape, which is, in Greek, it's God's love. It is a supernatural love. In fact, so much so that the the Greeks thought no human being could love with agape love. But yet in the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, agape sometimes is assigned to us as an admonition, as an encouragement for us to agape. Many times that word, even though it's used only for God, is commanded for us to agape. Let love be sincere. Or is it the translation that we just read? Without hypocrisy. Not putting on an act. Well, I go to church on Sunday, and so therefore, I'm okay. That's not what love is about. In fact, agape-type love is really only what God can do. It's not what we can do as human beings the assignment or the understanding of the way God loves is he doesn't have any selfish motive in his love. His love is without motivation in terms of, well, I'm trying to gather you in. No, because he is love. He loves the world, everyone, equally. He doesn't love me just because I obey him. He loves me because he is love. And even those who have turned their backs on him, God still loves. Well, you say, well, how in the world can that be? Well, I don't know, except that that is what Scripture teaches us. He is ever-loving and kind and gracious and fair and is just in what he does because of his person. He's without ulterior motive. He is without fixing his own plans to work out the way he wants them. They work out because he is love. And that is the way his love spreads out to all men everywhere. And you say, well, God's not fair because there are some people that have never heard about Jesus Christ. How can God be fair? How can he be just? There's people who have gone through their life and it seems they have not had a chance to believe. Well, remember in chapter 1 of Romans that we said that all men are without excuse. What they could know about God is obvious to them through creation. Our God is an agape God. He is a loving God. And for every man, woman, and child, God is fair in his dealings with them. We as believers and coming to know Jesus Christ and the work that he has done in our lives need to understand God and his motivation, not just in our own lives, but the ones that we're dealing with our neighbors, our friends, our relatives. God is showing his mercy, grace, and his love to them 
Because his love is agape. It comes from his very nature. God is love. God is love. The Bible says over and over again, that is who he is. That is who his nature is. And so because of that, we can trust. What about that person that never heard? But the word of God says their message goes out. Speaking of the stars and the creation and and all that assigns, this is a creator God that I must worship. We have heard stories over and over again of those who are in deepest jungles and those who are not aware that there is a savior God. But they sacrifice animals, they they do all kinds of cutting their, their bodies or whatever in order to appease the spirits. Stories are told of missionaries going into deepest, darkest places and discovering as they shared the love of Jesus Christ that in that village, in that group of people, oh yes, we have a story in our tribe, in our language of a God like that. But we don't know who he is. And it gives opportunity then for the missionary to take advantage of that or to say, I believe that points to Jesus Christ who came, died on a cross and gave himself, the Son of God gave himself for those who are lost. For God so loved the world, it says. Most famous Bible verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now I mentioned that we as human beings can't really agape. We can't really love like God, except for the fact that it says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, receiving him into our lives, we have in us an opportunity to agape. And there's many scriptures, like I said, that show us that we have this ability, not of our own strength or doing or being, but of the Lord Jesus Christ being in us. That encourages us so that it's not about us, it's about him. It's his love flowing through us out to other people. And see and understand and know that that is what God is using in your life to reach other people who don't know about Jesus Christ. That is God's love. That is his motivation. That is his heart flowing through us to others. I take great encouragement about that. We just had a a father and daughter last night at our home. And as we sat at the table with them, it was a lovely time, wasn't it, Katie? And just watching them as a father and daughter interacting, 
understanding the love that he has for that father, for that daughter. I knew it was God's love. It wasn't mine. And he's drawing them to accept this one who is the Savior. We continue to pray for them. We thank the Lord that we could share in that love and embracing and blessing them. That is God's love. And as I was reflecting on my message, I thought, this isn't just Katie's and my love. This is the love of God flowing through us, giving to them, loving them, accepting them, believing for their salvation. Hating what God hates, loving what God loves. Those sound like very hard, harsh words. Hating what God hates. Part of agape is that understanding that evil and darkness is not part of God. Not at all. God is light. And in him there is light. And so those things that are evil or that are intended to kill and destroy have nothing to do with God. And God takes the rap many times. He takes the accusation of men. Well, if God was a just God, if he was a loving God, why are children dying? What a foolish question. Particularly when we know the hearts of men who are greedy and want money and power. Don't blame it on a righteous God, a just God, an agape, loving God. God hates the evil, but he loves the good. And so should we. And so we would also do well to fall in line to give allegiance to agape love in our lives. Turning your back on that which is unjust and evil and turning to go God's way. Allow him to work that love, that work in in your heart. Hating what God hates, loving what God loves, brings us into his kind of love. With love, verse 10, with brotherly love, devoted to one another, in honor, esteeming one another. Brotherly love is different. It's a different Greek word than agape. It is uh, Philadelphia, not uh, Pennsylvania, but Philadelphia, the city in the United States, was named after this word, Philadelphia. And with that word Philadelphia, it simply means brotherly love. With brotherly love, devoted to one another, in honor, esteeming one another. Devoted means loyal, committed, faithful to. And we, as the body of Christ, need to be devoted to one another. And not only to those who are amongst us, as believers, but also to those who are not yet in the kingdom, who 
need to know the love of God in their lives. And so with these two, both agape love and brotherly love, we have a, a twofold opportunity to work in accordance with God's will and purposes. And that brotherly love shows itself in many ways where we think perhaps, I can't love them anymore. I've come to the end of my own brotherly love. And so we ask God, pour into me the love that I need to continue to love this person and befriend them, even though they've done some things to me or have said, I don't want to meet with you again. We can still continue to love and to work and walk in in his love. Loyal, committed, faithful. Esteeming. That is a difficult word. Esteem means to honor, to respect, admire, appreciate, esteem one another. Lifting them up. It has that sense of lifting up one another. Seeing them as greater than yourself, more worthy than yourself. That is what God desires for us to be as the body of Christ. I thank God for the demonstration of that in this congregation. Katie and I have so appreciated just watching many of you esteeming one another. We've seen it. We've understood it. And we commend you for that. Serving one another. Being able to put yourself below another person and lifting them up to serve them. Many of you have done that and demonstrated that over these last two years that we've, we've known you. We commend you for that. That is what God has called us to be. Matthew 25, 40. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. That is an incredible statement that was said by Jesus Christ. To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Wow. In other words, when I show a kindness to you, Jesus takes that as a kindness to him and gives me credit for it. That's hard to understand how the economy of God operates. But it doesn't. It's not a, an addition, as we've said before. God's blessings are not by addition. They are by multiplying. And so what he's really saying here is that when I show you love, Jesus is saying, I'll double it. You did it to me. Yes, you did it to him, but you did it to me. Double credit. Wow, that's 200%. And we get to be on that end of it. Let's love one another more fiercely, (laughs) more fervently. We'll get to that. With love, in diligence, not lagging in spirit, being fervent, serving the Lord. 
diligence is not hanging back, being, well, I don't know whether I should do that or not, because maybe they'll think that I'm thinking that they're poor or something, but I feel like God is asking me to give them a thousand yen, say. And you're thinking, well, I don't want them to feel bad. No, be diligent. God has a reason. And oftentimes we don't know when to give or not to give. Ask God. Allow him to work through you in being watchful. That's what diligent means. Looking, watching, feeling, sensing, understanding that God is leading us. And in doing that, you could bless and be a blessing. And then be fervent. Fervent means red hot. Burning. It's not just emotion, but it is the sense that this is the right thing to do. And God, by his Holy Spirit, and through his love, will work that through you to be a blessing to other people in your love, both mixed with agape and with Philadelphia love. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Whatever you do. It doesn't have to be something that's out front or expensive. It could be something very simple. And oftentimes, that's what our life is made up of. It's just very simple tasks and things that we do that could go unnoticed. But they're not unnoticed by our faithful Lord. As we said already, it's a 200% return. Because we're not serving to show off. We're not showing that, oh, you know, I I, I give, I'm... I'm, uh, a good giver. No. It's who to whom you are giving. It's not how much. Remember Jesus talked about the woman who was a, a widow, poor, and the Pharisees were taking their money and <laughs> dropping their change in the offering bucket or whatever it was, I don't know, but trying to make a big sign. And Jesus noticed that there was a widow woman who put one penny each yen into the offering. Amazing. Jesus said, did you see that? She gave more than all of you because that's all she had. That was her last yen. And it was noticed. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. That Lord Christ is very unusual combination. Yes, we know the uh, terminology or the, the words that Lord Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, is often in, in the Bible. But Lord Christ, I could only find it once here in Colossians. Why Lord Christ? Christ means Messiah the anointed one. 
and Lord Christ together. He is the the one we serve. He is our Lord. He is Messiah. And it says here, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. So there's a specific a specific inheritance and reward that God has reserved for us. Our Lord Christ. He is the one we serve. He's our Messiah. He's the one we're waiting for. The Lord Christ. And then in verse 12, it talks about in hope. In hope rejoicing. This word, uh, hope, the definition is, and this is from a, a normal dictionary, it's a feeling of expectation or a desire for a particular thing to happen. They put it on the level of feeling. And uh, synonym for hope is listed as aspiration, desire, wish, expectation, ambition, plan, or a dream. All of those things are are very human, natural things that we would expect when we, I hope, I hope, uh, I hope I win the lottery. No, I, I don't even think about doing that. That's not where my hope is. But, you know, we say things like that. I hope I don't miss the bus. I hope I can get on the express line to, to get there on time for my friend who's waiting for me in Shinjuku. We use it just as kind of a everyday term, don't we? But it has greater impact than that. Paul says, in hope rejoicing. And so part of the hope and rejoicing is a looking forward, but it's also a acceptance that God works all things together for good to those who love God. It's looking forward to something, but it's rejoicing in your looking forward. Because you don't really know whether it's going to happen or not. And so it's that trust factor, because you know something is ahead here. And the psalmist says it very well. Psalm 42.5. Oh, I was supposed to ask you the question. Do you ever talk to yourself? Why are you cast down? Why are you so discouraged? Oh, my soul. Now, have you ever done that? Have you ever talked to yourself that way? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Great verse for 2017. Use it. Don't abuse it. In tribulation, being patient, verse 12 says. You know, one of my joys, I think some of you know this, is flying my little light aircraft. And I remember when I was learning how to fly, it's, yeah, am I afraid of heights? Yes, I am. 
I don't want to crash into the ground. And my good friend, who later on became an airline pilot, we flew hundreds of miles together, and he was teaching me how to fly. And so sometimes we'd hit some very windy spot where we were just bouncing all over. And I'd grab the uh, yoke, we call it a yoke, I'd grab that and just hang on. And uh, Kendall would say, Ron, lighten up. You're going to put us into the ground. You're going to crash us. You'll put us into a spin. Don't hang on so tight. Let loose. Hold it very loosely. The plane is designed to fly. You are not flying the plane. So let off. Hold it lightly. How many of you are pilots? Okay, well, this is a wasted illustration. (laughs) But anyway, the way to get out of turbulence when it's just going like this, when you're you're flying along across the Pacific and you're thinking, I'll never make it to Tokyo now. This wind is just something else. And the pilot says, fasten your seat belts. You hate to hear that. But the plane is bouncing around and the stewardess has already moved her carts away and locked them down and she's jumped into her seat and the plane's going like this. We were flying down to South Africa one time and we got into winds like this and we fell probably a couple of thousand feet and you could just feel it. And I knew who the Christians were around me. (laughs) Jesus, help! (laughs) No, I bet you anything, the pilots up there let their hands off the yoke. And just worked it until it flew itself out. It's the same in our life. When you are in tribulation and turbulence in your life, that's the time not to grab on, oh, I've got to do something here. No, this is when you realize Jesus is your pilot. Relax. Sit back. You are designed fly if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You got that? You understand it? Don't be hanging on so tight that you think it all depends on you. Relax. Be patient, Paul says. In tribulation, be patient. You're designed to fly. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's where the relaxation. And you think, well, okay, this verse, and I even thought about this, folks. Let us hold fast. Well, we're supposed to grab. No, let us hold fast to what? Our confession. It'll be okay. So just relax. And let the airplane fly by itself. Our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's what faith is. That's what faith is about. And then finally, in hope, constant in prayer. And prayer is not something that you just use in time of emergency, but prayer should be your daily breath the way you breathe, the way that you go through your day and your life. That is what prayer is about.
trusting the Father for what he has for you for each day. It's a way of life. One of the signs of hope is when we turn to the Lord, how often have you tried to worry yourself through a problem and finally you come to the end of yourself and you begin to pray? Now, my wife is sitting here and I have to be very honest. This is not my natural bent. If the car stops in the middle of the night, just goes dead. And what's wrong with this car? The, the gas tank says full, but it just stops. You let it slide over to the side of the road. And so I try different things. And Katie says, honey, let's just pray. No, just a minute. I know, what, I know what's wrong with this. Now, I'll fix it. And uh, we sit there for a half hour or 45 minutes, and I'm trying to monkey with some of the things, and it just will not start again. And she patiently, we should pray. <laughs> Why? I know how to fix these things. Well, they didn't know how to fix that. Do you know what kind of a car it was? It was a BMW. I don't like BMWs anymore. <laughs> I found out that they have a lot of electrical problems. But I said, okay, let's pray. So we prayed. And we had an emergency road service. And so I called. And uh, pretty soon here comes the tow truck to tow us. And out jumps this young man. And I could tell right away he's Japanese. This was in the United States. He's Japanese. And the first thing I said to him when he came up to the car, I said, are you Japanese? Rather than, are you here to pick me up? No, I said, are you Japanese? He says, yes. How did you know? I said, well, because we have a son who's Japanese. Oh, why do you have a son that's Japanese? I said, well, we adopted him. Well, I'm adopted. And my parents were missionaries in Japan. We said, what? Really? Who are you? Well, we knew his parents. <laughs> and here he was, picking us up. And so he said, well, my company says I'm only to drive you to a certain spot and I'm supposed to dump you off and you'll have to get a taxi the rest of the way home. He says, I don't have any other calls tonight. I'll just drive you home, which was about another hour almost. A missionary kid, a Japanese, <laughs> meeting us in the middle of the night. Well, we should have prayed earlier. <laughs> Luke 18, 1 to 8. I think you all know this story. Now Jesus was telling them a parable of a widow to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And as you know, there was this judge that she had gone to who was, he didn't fear man and he didn't fear God. But the widow kept coming to him and asking him, Help me from my opponent, the one that's trying to take my house away or something like that. And the judge finally said, okay, okay, I will protect you. I will make a, a court order against this guy because he was saying, this widow bothers me. I will give her justice, otherwise she will wear me out. Then he asks and says, will not God bring justice for his elect, I tell you that he will bring justice quickly. 
Now, what's the point of this story that Jesus told? The point of the story is that we as God's kids, those who put their trust in him, yes, we pray and we pray and we pray and we think God is not hearing. And we we think that he's like this unjust judge. But he's not like that. He listens to us. And in his timing, in his perfect timing, He brings the answer because he is a faithful God to us. And that's what we need to remember as we go through 2017. There's going to be things like that when you're saying, God is not answering my prayer. He's not coming through for me. It's not working. I've got to grab on, hang on tight. No, he's saying, I tell you, that he will bring justice quickly at the right time. Trust him for 2017 in your life. Maybe you've got some hurdles ahead of you you already know about that you're considering and wondering how God is going to take you through it. Remember this verse. Remember the widow. She didn't have a just judge like we do. We as believers have a just one, Jesus Christ, who knows our needs and he will answer in his time and it's always perfect timing. Lastly, contributing or contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. First of all, contributing. Do you know what verb this is in Greek, contributing. It's koinonia. You're supposed to koinonia. It's like a potluck, just like we had at Christmas. You know, sometimes when we've had a big crowd here, there's hardly enough to cover us, you know, the food to go around. This year we saw koinonia, where there was plenty of food. How many went back for seconds? There was lots of food this last year. Contributing, it's koinonia. And we koinonia with one another. When we bless one another, we help one another. That's what Christian life is about. We're practicing. This is an interesting word, practicing. Practicing hospitality. What does your doctor do? What is his business? He's practicing medicine. Do you say that in in, uh, Nihongo, in Japanese? Do we say practicing medicine? We do in English. We say that my doctor practices medicine. Well, why would you go to somebody that's just practicing? (laughs) He should know everything, not just practicing. Well, this, this is very interesting because that's what we are as Christians. We're practicing. And every day, we get better and better. And your doctor, hopefully, gets better and better. I'd rather go to a doctor who has practiced 100 heart transplants than to go to one that has never done it yet on his own. When Katie had her operation, I asked the man that was interviewing us, because it was a serious operation, how many times have you 
done this? Oh, probably 800 or 1,000. It was pretty high. Little exaggeration, maybe. <laughs> but I thought, oh, man, he can do this. No problem. And so I said, yeah, go ahead with the operation. Uh, my wife, my dear wife, but be careful. And he was great, wasn't he? Incredible physician. Practicing hospitality. And I think I already told you what hospitality means. Anybody know what hospitality is? Serving, right? Having a nice meal for somebody. Hospitality actually means looking out for strangers. Showing kindness to strangers. That's what hospitality is. Somebody that just comes to your door, you don't know them, and you serve them. That's what God is asking us to do. In 2017, you're going to run into a lot of strangers. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. John 13:35. You know, what we've just gone through are 12 steps. You know what the 12 steps program is? It's to take somebody out of an addiction and lead them to health and healing. It's a 12-steps program, which is in the United States, and I think it's in many countries of the world. Paul has 12 steps here. Watch them. Let love be without hypocrisy. Number two, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Number three, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Number four, give preference to one another in honor. Five, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Seven, serving the Lord. Eight, rejoicing in hope. Nine, persevering in tribulation. Ten, devoted to prayer. Eleven, contributing to the needs of the saints. And Twelve, practicing hospitality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so, so merciful to us. We really don't deserve a God like you. But yes, we do. Because Jesus died for all of us. We thank you that we can face what is ahead. Jesus came as a baby. Grew up, went through temptation and trial. The abuse of men died on a cross, was killed, buried, and in three days was raised from the dead, becoming our Savior forever, coming to life so that he might give life. And yes, we do deserve to receive his mercy and his kindness. He is our Lord Christ. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts for what you have done, for what you have offered to us, to everyone who believes eternal life. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. We give you thanks. In his name, amen.